Hello, Radioland. It's the end of the night, at the end of the summer. So I guess this is the last episode of our summer edition. You know, I start dreading summer's end somewhere around the beginning of August. I have as long as I can remember. I loved school. I thought it was fun. But not as fun as summer. I loved summer more. My wife loves the fall, says it's her favorite season. But for me, it's always meant back to school, back to work, back to routine. And I'm not so much for routine. Give me the summer wind that blows where it listeth. You hear the sound of it, but know not whence it comes, nor whither it goes. So it is with the summer. The summer wind came blowing in from across the sea It lingered there To touch your hair And walk with me All summer long We sang a song And then we strolled That golden sand Two sweethearts and the summer wind Like painted kites, those days and nights They went flying by The world was new beneath the blue umbrella sky Softer than a piper man One day it called to you I lost you I lost you to the summer wind The autumn wind And the winter winds They have come and gone Till the days, those lonely days, they go on and on. And guess who sighs his lullabies through nights that never end? My fickle friend, the summer wind. Summer wind, warm summer wind, the summer wind. Did you ever see that movie, The Pope of Greenwich Village, with Julia Roberts' big brother Eric? 
when he was more of a movie star than she was. And with Daryl Hannah, when she was even more gorgeous than Julia Roberts ever was. And that's saying something. It's one of those movies that opens with the perfect song, like Staying Alive at the beginning of Saturday Night Fever or The Good Life at the start of Matchstick Men. The Pope of Greenwich Village is a thoroughly depressing movie. Not unlike Saturday Night Fever, come to think of it. But it opens with a zip and a snap, with vim and vigor and optimism to the sound of Frank singing The Summer Wind. Maybe that undercurrent of autumn sets up the movie perfectly. Or maybe it just sets the scene perfectly. All New York City optimism and swing and bravado. It's no coincidence they play Frank at the end of every Yankees game. He's their kind of guy. There's a whole lot of movies that take place at the end of summer. We talked about American Graffiti and the night before George Lucas's alter ego leaves for college. I've been thinking about some others that span several days, marking the change of the season from the freedom, the wildness, or the innocence of summer into the, well, whatever the fall might hold. Moonrise Kingdom begins with a letter from Sam Joukowsky to Susie Bishop, written on August 28th. It causes all kinds of trouble on September 2nd. Scoutmaster's log, September 2nd. First day of search party for Sam Shikusky. Morale is extremely low, in part, I suppose, because Sam is the least popular scout in the troop. By a significant margin. I'm confused and I'm worried. Please let us find him tomorrow. Please don't let him fall off a cliff or drown in a goddamn lake or something. Terrible day at Camp Ivanhoe. Let's hope tomorrow's better. And because Moonrise Kingdom is no tragedy, it culminates just like one of Shakespeare's comedies with a sort of wedding on September 5th. Do you love each other? Yes, we do. But, but think about what I'm saying. Are you sure you're ready for this? Yes, we are. They're not listening to me. Let me rephrase it. Oh, we're in a hurry. Are you chewing? Spit out the gum, sister. In fact, everybody. I don't like the snappy attitude. This is the most important decision you've made in your lives. Now go over by that trampoline and talk it through before you give me another quick answer. But the best scene of them all involves a portable record player and a boy and a girl dancing on a secluded beach on the 3rd of September. Et qui 
de l'aventure Quand le temps va et vient On ne pense à rien Malgré ses blessures Car le temps de l'amour Ça vous met au cœur Beaucoup de chaleur Et de bonheur Un beau jour c'est l'amour Et le cœur va plus vite Car la vie suit son cours Et l'on est tout heureux d'être amoureux C'est le temps de l'amour Le temps des copains et de l'aventure Quand le temps va et vient On ne pense à rien malgré ses blessures Car le temps de l'amour C'est long et c'est court Ça dure toujours On s'en souvient on s'en souvient, on s'en souvient, on s'en souvient. From 1962, Le Temps de l'Amour, by French Chanteuse and pop star Françoise Hardy. And if you weren't lucky enough to grow up in Canada and learn important French things like this, I can tell you that is a song about the time of the love it sounds better in French. Françoise was a singer and fashion model who became an icon for the swinging London scene. When that kid pulls out his portable record player and puts on the Francis Hardy record, you know he's the epitome of cool. All of which puts me in mind of another end of summer film with some swell Frenchness, begins on August 29th. In 48 hours, her life will change forever. But she doesn't know it yet. Lady Diana suffers her tragic accident. But in pretty much exactly one month's time, Amelie has found, spoiler alert, true happiness. September 28th, 1997. It is exactly 11 a.m. At the fun fair near the ghost train, the marshmallow twister is twisting. While in Villette Park, Félix Lerbier learns there are more links in his brain than atoms in the universe. At the Sacré Cour, the Benedictines are practicing their backhands. The temperature is 24 degrees Celsius, humidity, 70%. Atmospheric pressure, 999 millibars. Life is good. And maybe September isn't too bad either. I sometimes think the best use of a song in any movie might just be at the very end of Stand By Me, which takes place over the Labor Day long weekend and marks the end not only of summer, but of childhood. When you give a film the name of one of the best 
and best-known songs there ever was. And then you give just a taste of an orchestral version in the background of the opening scene, and then you don't play the song through the whole movie or even mention it. And then the movie comes to an end, and Richard Dreyfus types on his computer screen, Although I hadn't seen him in more than ten years, I know I'll miss him forever. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was twelve. Does anyone? And he walks out the door. And at last... summer as the end of childhood. Hmm. You know, this is my first summer since I was five. That September didn't mean it was time to go to school or go back to work. I quit my day job back in January this year, and I don't have to go back to anything in particular this fall. 
ever, ever again if I don't want to. But try telling that to my psyche. As soon as August hit, I started having that feeling of the sand running out of the hourglass. Oh no, summer's almost over, even though it was only just finished getting started. I had to coach myself through the first week or two of August. It's okay. You're done. You don't have to go back. School's out forever. But how's this for a nasty irony? The year I finally don't have to dread summer's end, when the start of September doesn't mark the end of anything at all, really, it does. And I've been sadder than ever. Sentimental old me. My granddaughter Rosa is four years old. She turns five in October. And that means she's just about to get on the merry-go-round I just got off. This week she starts kindergarten. And the little girl I last saw in July won't be the same little girl when I see her next at Thanksgiving. A couple weeks ago, she told her mom she's not wearing dresses anymore. Why? Because none of the other kids do. So it's t-shirts and leggings from now on, I guess. Rosa has a little sister, Antonia, who'll be two years old in October. A couple weeks ago, there was a lot of excitement at the Avila house because Abuela was coming their grandma from Chile. The day Ana Maria was to arrive, Rosa worked and worked to help Thea clean the house, get everything ready for the great arrival. But when Thea was cleaning the kitchen, she noticed little Rosa had slipped away. Upstairs, she was on her mom's bed, crying. About school, of all things. I just want to stay home with my little sister and my mommy. It was a bit of a surprise. Rosa has been excited about kindergarten for at least a year or two. Her mom's a teacher at the school, so Rosa feels very at home there. She was asking earlier this summer if she was going to be the teacher of the other kids. Well, not really. Well, but, well, then she assumed she'd be the teacher's helper. And Thea said, well, you, you can help the teacher, but you, you, you'll just be one of the kids. So Rosa's been anything but shy about kindergarten. Until it gets close. I just want to stay home with my little sister and my mommy. Eventually, when Abuela arrived, Rosa put on her kitty outfit and crawled to the top of the stairs and made quiet little cat sounds. Thea invited her to join everybody for supper, and the kitty crawled down the stairs and ate her food from a bowl by the table. And pretty soon she was chattering away to her grandma from Chile, who speaks not a word of English. And all was well. Abuela is staying with the Avalas for a couple of months, and whether Rosa knew it or not, she was realizing that her world wouldn't be the same anymore. At the end of last week, 
She had an interview with her kindergarten teacher. Her mom asked her to choose an outfit for the interview, hoping she'd pick one of her many beautiful dresses, but instead she wanted to dress like a cat. Pants and shirt and socks in a matching color, with ears, a tail, and a collar. She wanted whiskers and a pink nose drawn on. Thea figures this will give her teacher a pretty good idea who Rosa is. Who she is for now. They're seven hours away in Tofino. And I spent some time this weekend looking at photos of the girls taken over the past few years, making myself melancholy. Already the two-year-old Rosa is gone, and the three-year-old, and now the preschool Rosa is slipping into the past. So wouldn't you know, I finally have a September that doesn't have to mean I'm leaving summer and its freedoms behind, and I realize that something else is passing away. And what a time it was, it was A time of innocence A time of confidences Long ago it must be I have a photograph Preserve your memories They're all that's left you So it's back to school, not just in Tofino, not just in Canada, all over the world, even in Azerbaijan.
beautiful grade four teacher. Always wore his shirt half open, had dry look hair and eyes bigger than Donny Osmond's. Sometimes he used swear words in class. I fell hard in grade four love. I remember the day I had to wear the hand-me-down dress to school. Polka dots, pleats, Peter Pan collar. 1974 was bell-bottoms, feathered hair, three-dog night, and doodle art. It was neither pleats nor polka dots. It was in no way a Peter Pan collar. But crushy teacher, lounging atop a desk, fixed me with round, pale eyes in his stare. He grafted two trees to a single rootstock, kindness twinned forever with desire. You look smashing, he said, in that dress. The world lit up. I clutched that moment, talisman still, the heat that flowered when he noticed my smallness, my sadness, and spoke.
sang that song to Sidney Poitier in the last scene of the 1967 film To Serve With Love. It's a tribute to Mr. Thackeray. They call me Mr. Thackeray, a black immigrant from British Guiana who finds himself in a temporary teaching position that he doesn't want in a tough school in London's East End. It's a corny enough little melodrama, but damn, that Sidney Poitier brings such gravitas to the role. Just watch that scene on YouTube. 1967. Same year as that masterpiece, In the Heat of the Night. As for the song itself, here's how the story goes. Lulu, born Marie MacDonald McLaughlin Lowry, which was presumably too long to fit on the record label, who now goes by the name Lulu Kennedy Cairns of the most excellent order of the British Empire, was a pop singer from Glasgow, a Glaswegian, who'd had some success with the cover of the Isley Brothers' Shout. This was her first film role, and when she heard the song she was expected to sing, she rang up her composer friend Mark London, a Canadian, ironically enough, though with that name, maybe he was destined to make his career in England. They're going to make me sing these rotten songs, she said, and it'll be awful. Why don't you write the songs? He wrote the melody in five minutes. Don Black wrote the words, and the way I heard it, the next day Lulu was on set recording the song that became the best-selling single of 1967 with the Mindbenders of Wayne Fontana fame as her backup band. Lulu went on to host a TV show that's mostly remembered for the time when Jimi Hendrix refused to sing with her. She sang the theme song of a James Bond movie. She was married to Maurice Gibb for a few years, one of the G's in the Bee Gees. And she even did a turn on the London stage, playing the lead in a West End revival of 42nd Street. Before Lulu, you heard Diane Tucker, Soul Food's unofficial poet-in-residence, reading Beautiful Grade 4 Teacher, from her superb recent collection, Nostalgia for Moving Parts. You can get a copy of that from Turnstone Press. Like me, Diane's still trying to get her head around the Septemberness of everything, she says. And before that... An exotic cover treatment of Pink Floyd's classic Another Brick in the Wall by the Azerbaijanian group Bizimikiller. Hey, I don't know how you pronounce it. B-I-Z-I-M-K-I-L-E-R. Bizimkiller. 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 Okay, how about something from Charles Edward Anderson Berry I and only... Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell The cook in the lunchroom's ready to sell if you can find a seat You're fortunate if you have time to eat Back in the classroom, open your books Keep it, the teacher don't know I mean she looks Soon as three o'clock 
rolls around You finally lay your burden down Close up your books, get out of your seat Down the halls and into the street Up to the corner and round the bend Right to the juke joint you go in Drop the coin right into the slot You gotta hear something that's really hot With the one you love, you're making romance All day long you've been wanting to dance Feeling the music from head to toe That Day You Were Absent from Fourth Grade by Brad Aaron Maudlin. Mrs. Nelson explained how to stand still and listen to the wind, how to find meaning in pumping gas, how peeling potatoes can be a form of prayer. She took questions on how not to feel lost in the dark. After lunch, she distributed worksheets that covered ways to remember your grandfather's voice. Then the class discussed falling asleep without feeling you had forgotten to do something else, something important, and how to believe the house you wake in is your home. This prompted Mrs. Nelson to draw a chalkboard diagram detailing how to chant the psalms during cigarette breaks and how not to squirm for sound when your own thoughts are all you hear. Also, that you have enough. The English lesson was that I am is a complete sentence. And just before the afternoon bell, she made the math equation look easy, the one that proves that hundreds of questions and feeling cold and all those nights spent looking for whatever it was you lost and one person add up to something.
talked a lot about movies tonight. Stand By Me, Moonrise Kingdom, Pope of Greenwich Village, To Serve With Love. It's good to be heading back to the movies. Last night, the newly reopened Hollywood Theater, our oldest movie house here in Vancouver, screened Cinema Paradiso. This Thursday, my movie pal Dan and I are heading out to see The Green Knight. I wonder if J.R.R. Tolkien would approve. And then, that same night, I'm heading to a different cineplex with some other buddies to get scared out of our wits by Candyman. In a couple weeks, things get even more upscale with the opening of the Vancouver International Film Festival. Wow. I haven't viffed for years. And now I've got the time to make a complete cinematic pig of myself, wallowing at the trough of the world's finest motion picture excellence. Maybe fall isn't all bad. When the theaters reopened this summer, I saw three movies in four days at another of our vintage movie palaces here in Vancouver, the Rio. A matinee screening of Princess Mononoke, a night out with my lovely wife experiencing the Summer of Soul, and a late-night screening a couple days later to see Nick Cage's new one, Pig, with my theater pal John Voth. When I dropped him off around midnight, we sat for a while in my mini on the quiet street and caught up on a year and a half of pandemic life, the car filled with the warmth of friendship, And when the conversation ended and he headed in, I sat for a minute with the windows rolled down, savoring the night air and the sound of a blues song drifting my way from a group of guys who were standing on the far side of the parking lot. Shazam ID'd the song for me. I grabbed it from the cloud and headed home with Buster Benton singing all about how money is the name of the game. I beg to differ, but... Ah, summer. It's a pity Low down and dirty shame Oh, I'd say it's a pity Low down and dirty shame Tell me how I say when money is the name of the game I used to have good credit Everywhere in town Just sign my name And old Buster needs some 
Chicago bluesman Buster Benton with a recording he made in 1974. Buster had his own blues band in the late 1950s, but a lack of work in the 60s led him to be an auto mechanic for several years before he was brought back to musical life by Willie Dixon and invited to play with the Willie Dixon Blues All-Stars. Benton's most famous tune was uh, his recording of Spider in My Stew. Yum. Music journalist Bill Dahl writes, In the late 1970s, when the popularity of blues music was at a low ebb, Benton's recordings, particularly for Ron Records, were a breath of fresh air. Ron Records. No relation. You know, the summer of 1964 sounds like it must have been a pretty good one. Certainly it was lauded widely by the balladeers of the day. In August of that year, Chad and Jeremy were already pining for its passing with their release of A Summer Song. Maybe they're the ones that got me in the habit of dreading summer's end as soon as August arrived. Terrible thing to do to a seven-year-old. That song was a huge hit for the British lads, made the top ten in the States, even. According to Michael Thomas Jeremy Clyde, 
After that, the record company goes, gee whiz, we got a gold mine here. Let's start churning out those ballads, boys. And so they did for a few months. But the very next summer, Jeremy took a gig acting in the West End, leaving Chad on his own. I was the partner of an actor who was constantly threatening to leave the act. And he did. So Chad Stewart started up another duo, this time with his wife Jill. But the highest Chad and Jill climbed in the Billboard Hot 100 charts was number 110, which, you will note, isn't quite in the Hot 100. So Chad tried his hand at acting, providing the voice for Flaps, one of the vultures in Disney's The Jungle Book. Hey, Flaps, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Which, frankly, I thought was the best part of the movie. My buddies and I would stand around the playground at Alice M. Curtis Elementary School going, What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? It was great. But in a sad and ironic twist of fate, his partner in life and in music, Jill, was ejected from Disneyland for offending clean family behavior and a sense of what is decent in life. She was wearing shorts. And Chad and Jill threw in the towel, musically speaking, though their marriage did just fine. Priorities. But uh, back to the summer of 1964 and Chad and Jeremy's breakout slash breakup single, A Summer Song. Released on August 15th at number 97, it stalled on the British charts after Ringo Starr assessed the track as a miss rather than a hit on Jukebox Jury. But listeners on the other side of the pond didn't seem to care about what some drummer had to say about it. By late September... A Summer Song reached number 18, passing at number 19, The Beatles' Hard Day's Night, which dropped like a stone. By October, Chad and Jeremy were in the top ten, along with Gail Garnett's poignant We'll Sing in the Sunshine and the Shangri-Las' Remember Walking in the Sand, while Richard Starkey's fall release Matchbox sat stalled at number 18. That fall... Everybody on the charts, or at least everybody who was buying their records, was nostalgic for the summer that had passed. Martha and the Vandellas' proclamation that summer's here and the time is right for dancing in the streets still echoed in the halls of the Hot 100. Jan and Dean's Ride the Wild Surf was shooting up the charts. Pat Boone pined for his beach girl. The drifters complained, I've got sand in my shoes. Burl Ives sang about pearly shells from the ocean, shining in the sun, covering the shore. And Nat King Cole perhaps subconsciously expressed his aversion to the change of season in I Don't Want to See Tomorrow. Who can blame him? Ride the Wild Surf. I don't remember the song, but I remember the movie, in which Fabian, Tab Hunter, and Peter Brown the star of TV Westerns Lawman, Maverick, Cheyenne, and Colt 45, pursued not only the perfect wave, but also the perfect girl. Shelley Fabre, 
Barbara Eden, before her I Dream of Jeannie fame, and Susan Hart, whose previous film credits included The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini, Pajama Party, The Seventh Seal, and Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. Just kidding about The Seventh Seal. My best friend Dan Callahan and I saved up our candy bar wrappers, and one of our dads drove us into downtown Calgary, where we lined up with a lot of other seven-year-olds to turn in those wrappers for tickets to a double bill, Ride the Wild Surf, and Around the World Under the Sea. A life-changing experience, inspiring my vocational ambitions to become a professional surfer and to travel the seas in a submarine. And though that dream was eventually derailed when, like Lulu and Chad's partner Jeremy, and Jeremy himself, I abandoned my burgeoning career for the glamour of the stage. Decades later, I sat with my surfer daughter and her surfer husband and watched Ride the Wild Surf in our living room in my home in Richmond, B.C. Not exactly as I had planned, living on the beach and riding the big waves in Oahu, but the Richmond Dyke was a darn sight closer than Calgary's Glenmore Reservoir would ever be. We have seagulls. They say that all good things must end someday. Autumn leaves must fall. Sing it, lads. Trees swaying in the summer breeze Showing off their silver leaves As we walked by Soft kisses on a summer's day Laughing all our cares away Just you and I Sweet of summer nights Gazing at the distant lights In the starry sky They say that all good things must end someday Autumn leaves must fall But don't you know to say goodbye to you Wish you didn't have to go No, 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 no And when the rain Beats against my window pane, I'll think of summer days again
Reed Collection. That's my well-worn 45 of Canada's own Gail Garnett. Another one from the summer and fall of 1964. Like Chad and Jeremy and Lulu and Ron, Gail was another who exchanged a lucrative career in popular music or surfing for the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd. The roar of the grease paint and the smell of the crowd. How does that go? In 1975, she ended up at Canada's Stratford Festival, part of the first young company under newly arrived and controversial artistic director Robin Phillips. Oh, brave new Stratford that has such vigor in it, proclaimed Maclean's magazine. 
Phillips populates the two gentlemen of Verona with elegant, sexy jet-setters. There's a troop of sunbathers in the background, and one character who's a dead ringer for Robert Redford. Get out your time machines. Let's go see that. Well, that's it for our show tonight. And that's it for the summer of 21. And I suppose that's it for the summer edition of Soul Food Ghost Light. But I've been weighing matters and talking to the staff here at Ghost Light Studios high atop the hills of beautiful downtown Richmond. And we've decided we're having too much fun to call it quits just yet. Summer may be over. Kindergarten may have started up. Rosa reports that her favorite part was recess. She had lots of fun. There were three other kids who had the same favorite color, blue, and that she is never wearing dresses again. But here at Soul Food, we'll carry on as usual. Just not quite so summery. We'll put on a sweater or something. Here's the Electric Light Orchestra. The Electric Light Orchestra, or the Electric Light Orchestra, to bid adieu. Good night, Radio Land. Yeah.